Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Once again, Lord, for your word. And uh, Lord, for the way that you, you speak to us when we gather here. Lord, we, we do acknowledge that you are with us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to experience your presence with us. Lord, I pray that this, uh, this passage that Matt just read for us, my words, my teaching, Lord, would fully align with your heart and that we would hear your words and that your heart would resound this morning, that we would leave here um, having gotten closer to you. Lord Jesus, we need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, I want to pause that just real quick before we jump into the, the text. And Shirley had mentioned a bit of an add-on announcement um, about the 28 days of prayer before dawn. So that's, that's a little crazy, right? To pray every morning, 6 a.m. for 28 days. You, got, you have to agree with me. This is like, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, my goodness, like, how many months has it been now? Like, um, what have we gotten ourselves into? Um, it's actually been awesome. I know um, a few of you have kind of just popped in one or two times. Um, I know I've said it several times, but I know, I know some of you guys, you're like, look, I, I wish you had picked another time. Um, this is like, I just can't be there, and I, I'm so sorry. Um, I do want to encourage you. So we have 10 days left starting today. We'll end uh, next Wednesday, which will be the first Wednesday of the month, which is normally when we come together and worship. Um, in the evening, we call it our, our first Wednesday worship night, uh, and that'll conclude our 28 days of prayer. My encouragement is in the next 10 days, like pick a day and jump in, or if you're like, dude, 6 a.m. is just simply impossible, um, pick, a, pick a time during the day, maybe even like a friend that you can connect with, and just say, look, I'm going to be a part of this, um, because this is something that, that God is doing in our church family, I, I believe. Um, and I want everyone to be a part of it, however you can be. Um, and I got an email uh, earlier this week, maybe it was last week. There's a, there's a whole sort of little network group of churches in our city that have um, started praying together under the banner of 24-7 prayer, PDX. So I encountered the 24-7 prayer movement when we were living in the UK, in London. I think that's where this particular sort of prayer thing started. Um, it's fantastic. Just some, just some Christians who believe that God like, listens to and responds to our prayers. And this is, this is where it all begins and ends when God's people come to him in prayer. So this prayer movement has started, and now it's a bit of a global thing. It's even here in Portland. Starting this evening, they're going to kick off 10 days of prayer for our city. So it just so happens our last 10 days are like coincide with their 10 days of city-wide prayer. And some of you guys might already know about it, but I just wanted to let you know, um, if you want to be a part of that, guys, let's jump in. They're going to be meeting at a church downtown around Chinatown this evening at 7 o'clock, Garden Church is going to host it in their venue, and it's going to be a bunch of different churches worshiping together, praying for our city, and that'll happen morning, noon, and evening for the next 10 days. So it's very easy to find online. Um, I think they're calling it Holy Ground, so you can find that. It's super easy, and I just wanted us to know about that, because although we're not like officially, officially partnered with 24-7 prayer, 
um, we are praying, and it just so happens we're, we're praying at the same time. So there you go. Hope you guys can be a part of that if you'd like to be. Now, back to John. Um, I've had a couple people ask me over the last couple of weeks, are we still in John with this sort of like slight hint or like, are we, are we almost there? Are we there yet? If you have kids, you get that. Are we there yet? Are we almost done? I feel you, I feel you. Like I knew this was gonna be a journey when we started this. Um, yeah, John, it's, it's a long book. It's, it's gonna have taken us the whole year. And guys, I'm so convinced that this has been good for us. Um, I don't wanna say that like it's good to be bored but I think in a world that's like constantly offering us like, like just entertainment or satisfaction or the next thing, like give me the hit, give me the hit, give me the hit, it is so good to slow down. I, I think when we imagine what it's like to walk with Jesus, it, it's, it has to have something to do with slowing down. Slowing down at a walk's pace. And that's what we've been doing, and I'm really glad that we, we, we are doing it, and we are almost there, actually, um, because we're in chapter 18 now. We've just left the upper room. So chapters 13 through 17, <clears throat> I don't know how long it took. They must have been in this room for a few hours, um, bit of context. They had a meal. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And he began to talk about like all, he's like all of like the highlights of his ministry. He's like, remember these things. Remember, remember when I told you I was going to go to the cross. Remember how I promised you that the Holy Spirit would come. And, and remember what it looks like to, to emulate the way I lay my life down for people. And I want you to do all of these things um, as you follow me, as I've laid my life down for you. And it's, it's epic. It took us a couple months to work through the upper room moment. And now we've left the upper room. It says, after you said all of these things... Then he went out with his disciples across the brook called Kidron. I've actually been in this little valley. It's the Kidron Valley, um, just outside of like the old city, Jerusalem. There's a little river there. Um, one side of the hills covered with a bunch of um, above ground tombs. That's how the Jews bury their, their dead. Um, some ancient, ancient tombs. I was there in Israel several years ago and we went through um, Hezekiah's tunnel, I think it's Hezekiah, I always forget the Kaya's. We went through this tunnel in the middle of the night. We popped out just around where the old temple used to be and we made our way outside of the city and sort of imagined like this, is, this, is, this must have been what it was like for Jesus and his disciples to leave the upper room in the middle of the night, cross this little valley it, it was only a couple days until Passover, so it would have been a full moon. They would have been able to see as they were passing through this little valley. They went up the other side to this little olive tree garden, which we call the Garden of Gethsemane, to have a final meeting with his disciples. Judas, who had actually dismissed himself during the upper room meeting, has now reappeared in this little spot 
Jesus and his disciples would often go to to meet, and Judas is now there with um, some soldiers. And uh, it's now obvious why he left the meal early. Um, He went to betray Jesus. Jesus, it would seem, is not surprised. Obviously, and we're even told, and so as John narrates these events, we were told back in John 13, 14, exactly why Judas left. Um, this was no surprise to Jesus. In fact, it's, it's, it's worth noting, actually, that all the way back in John chapter 6, Jesus predicted that one of his disciples would betray him. So he, he saw this coming like from the beginning. In fact, he even goes so far as to say that this had to happen so as to fulfill scripture. There's this Old Testament uh, prophecy that actually talks about this very thing. It's all working out according to God's plan. They're in this garden and uh, Jesus isn't surprised. I think his disciples are a bit surprised. Uh, so surprised that Peter whips out a sword. Now, I imagine it was a relatively frantic moment. Like all of a sudden, Peter and the disciples realize what's happening. I don't think they were expecting it. And Peter reaches for a sword. Now, he was a fisherman, so I imagine it wasn't like a, like a centurion sword. It wasn't like a, a knight's saber. It was probably something a bit more like a machete. Hmm? I imagine this is probably even a bit big for what Peter would have had. He was a fisherman, so he had some kind of blade on him. And in a moment of panic, he reached for a sword and we're told that he hacked off the right ear of the high priest's servant named Malchus. It's a lot of detail. Um, in the gospel according to Luke, we're told the same thing, that he hacked off the right ear of the high priest servant named Malchus. I love how Jesus, when we find him in these super tense moments, never seems um, phased, caught off guard, overwhelmed with fear, the anxiety of the moment. He just exudes peace, whether he's in like a storm, whether he's being confronted by an angry mob, one of my favorite sort of Jesus Jedi moments is when, I think it's Luke chapter four, I wrote it down someplace. Um, Yeah, Luke chapter four. Jesus has just finished preaching in his hometown synagogue. And initially, uh, the audience, the congregation, they're all thoroughly impressed with this guy until he starts to basically allude to the fact that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. And they're like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Like we, and they turn on him in a moment. And this violent mob forms. 
and they proceed to force him out of town and just before they're about to literally throw him off a cliff, it says that Jesus simply passed through their midst. This This is how Jesus rolls. When he goes out in the middle of the night in the garden where they would always gather and pray and all of a sudden this violent mob shows up. I mean, it's like a scene out of Frankenstein. They got their pitchforks and their torches and their swords and there's Jesus. Who are you here for? Who are you looking for? Here I am. We're told that when he says those words, I am, the mob all like, drew back and fell to the ground. Commentators go crazy with that. Like, what? Was, it, was it because he used the proper name of God, I am? Before Abraham was, I am. And Jews would have um, considered that those to be sacred words, not to be spoken out loud. And so perhaps when Jesus said those words, like the angry mob were just like, like you know, like that uh, scene out of Avatar where they, my son Isaac started doing it all the time. How do you do it, Isaac? Like, like, what do you call it? Like an energy orb where Jesus like got all this chi and that's how I like to imagine it. Who knows? Who knows what happened? Could have been, it could have been that when he uttered those words, they just simply stepped back out of reverence, sort of bowed in that moment. Something was going on, but Jesus was at peace. If you've come for me, here I am, but let these men go. Take me instead. And Peter, Peter on the other hand, he kind of freaks out. Now, the the part about Peter freaking out that actually encourages me um, is that I reckon that would probably be me. Actually, that would probably be my wife. And our family, she's the one that like, like gets into like attack mode. And I'm, I'm, you know, fight. But I'm like, I'm not so much flight, I'm just freeze. I'm just like, I don't know what to do. And I, I, that's, but whatever the case is, in high pressure moments, I tend to get rather overwhelmed. And, and anxiety just sort of kicks in. And... Um, so if Peter struggled, I guess, I guess we're in good company. But he gets out his sword and he hacks off the ear. Hmm? Did he miss? You think he was actually going for the head and Malchus like dodged and got the ear instead? That's what all the commentators say. I don't know, maybe it was just a bad shot. He's just like, ah, like I'm not, not quite ready to like murder the guy, but I want to at least hack his ear off. But why the right ear of all things? Was he left-handed? Okay, I can't, you guys are trying to talk to me. I don't know what you're saying. So after, what, three and a half years walking with Jesus, thinking about this kingdom that was coming. Just moments ago, Jesus was the one who washed the feet of his disciples. And he said, this is what leadership will look like when my kingdom comes. This is what power will look like in my kingdom. You're going to learn how to lay your life down, humble yourself, go low, and serve others, even your enemies. 
For three and a half years, Peter has been walking with Jesus, listening to him, meditating on like what, what this life looks like and what his kingdom is really all about. And then in a moment, anxiety spikes. The dude reaches for his sword and hacks the guy's ear off. Classic. Classic. Is this, is this not just a, albeit extreme, but a classic picture of what anxiety manifests in a moment looks like. And I think it's actually a very humbling reminder because oftentimes, I mean, look at, I'm, I'd like to, I sort of fancy myself a bit of a, a Bible nerd. I mean, I'm no genius, but I've been reading it for about 20 years now. I teach classes, I preach. Like, I, I feel relatively confident when it comes to like understanding the Bible and good theology um, and yet, there are those moments where you discover, like, what do you really believe? And we can all wax theological and, and talk about spiritual things and what I think is good doctrine and why this person's wrong and we're better, or all of these things, and talk, 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 talk. But what do you really believe? Well, We'll find out. We will all find out in those high pressure moments when all of a sudden what we believe is actually um, being tested, if I can put it that way. When pressure's on, we discover that Peter was still in process. Still figuring out like, okay, perhaps I've been listening, perhaps I have some understanding but perhaps it's not quite made its way down to you know, the, the deeper parts of my inner being because Jesus um, certainly wasn't instructing his disciples in how to pick up swords and slaughter their enemies. Now one might say, oh yes, okay, so Jesus was clearly against Second Amendment rights and and this is like where you go to make your argument for like pacifism, right? And some of you are getting mad at me right now like just because of these words coming out of my mouth. And no, no, I don't, I don't think we should go there, actually. I mean, you could make an argument for those philosophies or political leanings, um, maybe elsewhere in Scripture. I think the point's much simpler than any of that. I think the point is when Jesus is leading the way, when we're beginning to experience, not just mentally ascend to, but actually understand, experience Jesus' life, his words at work in our inner being, we begin to change. And like Jesus, when we find ourselves in some of life's hardest moments, like impossibly complicated predicaments, and we find out, am I, am I living in the wake of peace? Learning to trust Jesus? Or like Peter, do I just simply default to reaching for my sword? And he goes for the ear. He goes for the ear. Now, I don't know, this is Nathan's machete. Thank you for that. I, I reckon most of you don't own swords. Um, I don't, I wish I did, swords are cool. Um, but we tend to grab other things, right? 
I think more often than not, we tend to use our words, and I, I just have to say it because it's, it's too, the metaphor is too cool to pass it up. But we use our words to violate the ears of our enemies. We say things that destroy lives. James talks about the tongue as this thing that like starts forest fires with just a word. A relationship can erupt in flames. One argument is all it takes sometimes to divide a family, to end a marriage, to to fracture a community because of someone's words, because of a high pressure moment when someone's riddled with anxiety in the face of, in this case, betrayal. That's really what's happening here. I imagine what was Peter feeling? He was probably feeling like this is This is not right. Judas, I knew it. The guy with the money betrayed Jesus. Let's get him. Let's retaliate. Let's get the power. Let's protect. Let's react. This is what we do so oftentimes with our words. And Jesus wants to lead us, teach us how to live another way, another way. What would it look like? Jesus, um, the cup, he said to Peter, put your, your sword in its sheath. Am I not meant to drink the cup that my father's given me? What would it look like to take the cup instead of the sword? What would it look like instead of being overwhelmed with fear or anxiety or whatever emotions would compel someone to attack another human being with a sword or with their words or whatever? What would it look like instead of reaching for the sword if we received the cup? And like Jesus said, look it, I'm, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it does hurt. Oh, it hurts to be betrayed. It hurts to be let down. It hurts to be lied to. But am, I, but am I not meant to drink the cup that my father's given me? Um, now the cup represents a few things we actually read out of Matthew 20. I wanted to go there on purpose to kind of come back there now in this moment. But the cup actually represents um, suffering and sacrifice. When he was referencing the cup in that Matthew 20 verse, um, he was literally talking about his death. When he's praying praying, um, elsewhere, and I think it's in Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel as well, we're told that Jesus went to the garden and began to cry out to his father and he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but let your will be done, Father. And so the cup certainly represents Jesus' suffering, knowing that he was to sacrifice his life for the world, for us, for sinners, to die for us. And that's the cup. Um, Of course, we don't die for the sins of the world like Jesus. We we can't, that's that's why Jesus died for us. Um, But he does hand us the cup. 
And he says, now I want you to follow me. I want you to lay your life down for others the way I've done for you. I I want you to participate in sacrificial love and experience new life, my life. He says, take up your cross, lay your life down that you might find your life as you follow me. And that, that requires suffering and sacrifice. Love necessitates sacrifice. If you want to love and be loved in this life, you will hurt. It will cost you something. It's a beautiful sacrifice. It's the only pain in this life that's actually like full of redemption and joy. But there's pain nonetheless. You know, there's actually, let me put it this way, if I can just back up a moment. Whether you take the cup or the sword, whether your way of dealing with the trouble in this world is by receiving the cup or grabbing the sword, you will experience pain in this life. Um, Following Jesus, Christianity, the gospel, um, isn't a way to avoid pain and suffering. You don't, no one gets to avoid pain and suffering in this life. Doesn't matter matter if you're an atheist, uh, some radical fundamentalist religious freak, like everyone in this life will suffer. In this world, you will have trouble. The real question isn't how do we avoid suffering or sacrifice, it's as we suffer in this life, where is redemption found? Jesus, where do, we, where do we find hope in the midst of suffering? Jesus, Jesus. So it's not like we can avoid it. It's not like one path, one religion, one philosophy or another is gonna somehow um, remove suffering. Now, certain religious or spiritual philosophies Um, may argue that actually suffering in this life is merely an illusion. Oh, I wish it were true. I actually wish that were true. Um, But so far, it doesn't feel like an illusion. Um, Death seems super real. Betrayal, uh, probably even more than death, is super, super real. And I don't simply want to try and convince myself that it's not real. I want to follow the one who offers me hope as I wade through pain and suffering in this world, and that is Jesus. But what would it look like to take the cup instead of lunging for the sword and getting caught up in my own fear and anxiety when faced with trouble in this world or betrayal, like we're reading about here, what would it look like to take the cup and say, Jesus, I'm willing to go where you lead, even if it means that I suffer with you, even if it means if I'm required to lay down my life for others, it's those things. It's also, the cup also represents security. It represents security and it represents satisfaction. There's four S's suffering, sacrifice, security, and satisfaction. Jesus said, I have not lost anyone that the Father has given me. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Something about embracing the cup means that we, we begin to embrace the reality that actually I am safe in God's hands. I wish I had like a really cool anecdote to just sort of illustrate that. I, I, I don't. It's more of like, um, I just want you guys to know this, be reminded of this. If you choose to follow Jesus, if you say, you know what, I'm gonna relinquish control. Today I'm gonna make the decision to put down the sword. Instead of retaliating, or responding in like anxiety and fear, I'm gonna take the cup of Jesus, say, okay, Jesus, I know this is gonna hurt. I don't know exactly what's going to happen next, but I trust you, and I choose to believe that I am secure in your hands. I'm safe, I'm safe. There's no one, not in heaven or in hell or on earth, no human, no spiritual, power or force of wickedness that can snatch me out of your hands. I am safe, even in the face of death, even in the face of cancer, even in the face of divorce, even in the face of the unthinkable. No one can snatch me out of my Father's hands. I am secure. I am secure. Could you imagine if those were more than just words? Could you imagine what life would feel like if that was like increasingly becoming your personal reality? No matter what happens at work, no matter how badly you perform on the job, no matter how many mistakes that you make, no matter how many times you fail, no matter how much anxiety just feels like your actual reality. If you began to step into this other place and embrace this other reality, this revelation that no, I am safe. I am secure in my Father's hands. No matter what happens next, I know where home is. I know to whom I belong. I'm secure. Could you imagine living like out of that place? And the next time I feel threatened and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Hmm. Hmm. Safe, I'm safe. I might lose my life. I'm safe. And the cup represents satisfaction. John chapter 6, Jesus, after having fed 5,000 people, said um, after the sun set, he put his disciples on the boat, sent them to the other side, and then he himself went up on a mountain and spent the night praying. Eventually he came down. At some point in the middle of the night, he started to walk on water across this lake to meet up with his disciples on the other side. It's insane. He finally gets there. The crowd realizes that somehow he's like slipped away in the night. They all get in their boats. They find him. Jesus begins to address this massive crowd again. He says, you know why you're looking for me? 
You know why you've come looking for me? This is John chapter six. It's not because you saw a miracle. It's because you ate the loaves and were filled. And he starts talking about, don't, don't labor for food that ultimately won't satisfy you. Come to me. Feed on me. I am the bread of life. In John chapter 7, he says, if you're thirsty, come to me. I will satisfy your thirst in a way that you'll never be thirsty again. What if that was our reality? You know, oftentimes when I'm tempted to reach for the sword, for me it's more my words. I like to, um, in my fear and anxiety, I find um, I feel much safer if I'm able to manipulate people. It's great, it's real nice. Um, when I feel like my kids or my family or the people that really influence me, that I care a lot about, um, have become a threat to me and I'm tempted to reach for my sword, I part, in part, I do that because I'm afraid that I'm gonna lose something, something that I need. Something that if I lose, then I'm not gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be like less whole. I'm, I'm not gonna be satisfied, I'm not gonna be fulfilled, I'm gonna be alone, I'm gonna be like somehow subhuman because I, I'm not getting that thing that I need, that affection from that person, that, that sexual experience that I think if I don't get that, I'm like not actually even loved. And so I'm afraid that if I lose that thing, that I won't actually be full. I'll somehow be this empty shell of a human being and so I, I somehow I've gotta take matters into my own hands and I've gotta, I've gotta make this happen, I've gotta to cling to this thing and, 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 and sure, maybe Jesus is Lord, but you know what, I'll just, I'll put the cup up on the shelf and it'll be more like a trophy and while I go about actually getting real fulfillment in life. But what if instead, I said, you know what, what if Jesus is right? What if actually he is the bread I'm looking for? What if he can quench my thirst? And what if instead of taking matters into my own hands and just sort of making things happen, what if I say, Lord Jesus, I'll take the cup. I'll take the cup. Oh, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna require sacrifice. I might even suffer, but Lord Jesus, I believe that you are who I'm looking for. I take the cup, now would you fill me? What if that satisfaction that we all long for can be fulfilled by Jesus? What if? Now some of you are like, what do you mean what if? You're the preacher, tell me it is. I think it is. I'm 20 years in. I've been following Jesus. I've been walking with him now for a while. And I'm convinced but it still feels like every day, or at least maybe once a week, I'm like, I got one hand on the sword and one hand on the cup. I'm just like, I don't know, Jesus. Can you really handle this situation? Am I really safe? Is my family really safe? Are you really gonna meet my needs? Are you really gonna handle this situation? Or I need to start hacking some ears? Because this thing feels out of control. And I don't feel satisfied in this moment. And I have to make that choice. And my friends, I'm inviting you. Follow Jesus. Put down the sword. 
Put away the thing that you're using to get satisfaction or to feel safe and receive the cup. Receive the cup. Jesus is who we're looking for, I'm convinced. You know, I, I started, can I invite the worship team to come up front, please? I started rereading the book of John uh, on my day off this week, on Friday. I recommend it, by the way. We've been in John for so long, I thought, I should reread this book. I've kind of like forgotten like the beginning from the end. And I started to pick up these very clear themes. We're like in the very beginning of the book, Jesus right at the outset starts to say, come and see, come and see. It's like this refrain over and over. He's meeting disciples and he's interacting. He's like on the scene. And over and over, he invites people, come and see, come and see, come and see. I am who you're looking for. You want, you want the kingdom? You want freedom? You, you want to be, uh, you want to experience life in all of its fullness? Come and see. Come and follow me. Stop what you're doing. Drop your nets. Turn away from that thing that you thought was going to pay off. Leave your sword. Come and follow me. Taste and see. I have what you're looking for. I am your security. I will satisfy your deepest hunger. Can we stand together, please? So, um, we're going to receive communion now. I'm going to invite you to respond. And uh, this is one of those messages where I feel like now, this has all been said before. This is, there's nothing new here. This is just like, hey, Jesus is who you're looking for. He's better than what you think you've got. And now leave that turn and go trust him. And maybe for some of you, you've never actually done that before. For you, you've got a cup, but it's like just sitting on the shelf as this thing that you kind of look at. You're like, yeah, I'm good. I got Jesus. But take the cup. Take, take the cup. Might, might be a first step for some of you here today. Um, for others of you, it might be like, look at I Every day, every day I'm tempted, tempted to put the cup back on the shelf. And then my invitation to, to all of us in that way is receive. Receive again. Come to Jesus again. Repent is the word. Again, say, Lord Jesus, I need you as much today as I've ever done. I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to fill me. Because I still got that sword. It's right there. And I'm daily tempted to grab that thing and just start to go crazy in this world. Lord Jesus, help us to take your cup. Help us to embrace your life. And if you would like that today, then the tables will be open. The bread and the juice, in case you're unaware of what these these symbols are, represent Jesus' body and his blood. 
instructed his, his disciples in the upper room. He says, after I'm gone, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Remember that I died for you, body and blood. I conquered death. I'm inviting you to experience new life. Do this in remembrance of me. It's actually a way of saying like, yes, Lord Jesus, I receive your life. I receive your cup, as it were. And that's what we do when we're taking communion. If you don't want to do that this morning, I don't want to pressure you. I know I've invited you. Maybe I have pressured you a little bit. I've appealed to you. Um, But at the end of the day, I don't want you to do it just because everyone else in the room is like making their ways to the table. Um, it's, It's a very real decision, a very personal decision. So if you need to just sort of hang back, stay in the pew, you're very welcome to do that. But again, the invitation, it's for all. Thank you, Father. Whenever you're ready. Surely shared something with me just as we were worshiping um, that the Lord had put on her heart, and I think it's, it was very helpful. Um, just to remind us, maybe even clarify, that the decision to not grab the sword, um, it's not a passive posture. Uh, there is a fight. The author of Hebrews, um, he, he describes it as striving to enter his rest. There's, um, there's an effort, there's a work, there's, a, there's an overcoming, there's a fighting. Only it's different. It's not a fight that, that sort of comes out of a place of fear or anxiety or just reacting. Um, it's a fight that comes from the heart of God. It's a fight to do good. It's a fight to love. It's a, it's a fight to give grace, to be gentle. It's a fight to rest, knowing that the real work has been done. And now Jesus invites us to walk with him, to learn to rest in what he's done. So Father, would you help us as we leave this place? Help us to be strong and to fight like you fight. Help us to to learn how to rest in your strength. And in moments when we feel like life is overwhelming us and we feel like we're about to reach for the sword, we're about to, to cling for control, we're about to simply react out of fear, Lord, help us to trust you to find our security in you and and to drink deeply of your life. Lord, that we would taste and see and know that you are good. Better, better, better than anything this world has to offer. If you'd like someone to pray with you this morning before you leave this place, we'll have our pastoral care team. A couple of people will be up in the balcony you'd like to wander up there, ask someone to pray for you. Otherwise, guys, have a great Sunday. See you next week, or maybe sometime during the week as we continue to pray. Love you guys.